Well, good morning, church family. <clears throat> Thank you, Brother Tony, for allowing me to come this morning and share where the Lord has led on my heart today. It is good to be home. Good to be home where it's warm. <laughs> Woo, Kentucky was rough this winter. 24 inches of snow, 28 days where the temperature never got above 30 degrees. Lord, I walked out of the car when I got here and said, I'm home because it's warm and it's humid. And this is where I need to be. We miss a lot of things about y'all because y'all have been so special to us. And as I look across this sanctuary this morning, it's good. That's good. But I want to tell you, there's one thing I do miss that I can't get in Kentucky. And that's fresh seafood. There's no fresh seafood in Kentucky for some reason. And I guess it's because it's in the middle of the state and there's no water. So it can't be fresh, right? But you know me, you know the jokester I am. I love to go to restaurants and try to find restaurants that have seafood. And try to use my 46 years of experience here on the coast and ask technical questions about their seafood. Case in point, went to this restaurant one time and I saw on the menu where they had fried shrimp. I said, here we go. Young young girl walks up to our table and says, sir, can I help y'all? I said, I see that you have fried shrimp on your menu. She said, oh yeah. I said, could you tell me if them shrimp are butterflies? <laughs> butterflies? She stepped back from the table a little bit and she said, no. Our shrimp come from the water. <laughs> and she looked back over toward the kitchen, I guess, to... Try to get some very verification of this. And she said, I think they catch them in the Ohio River. <laughs> Here's your sign. <laughs> Would you pray with me this morning before we begin? Lord, we have praised you today, God. We have sung songs of worship to you. And Father, we have prayed and we have welcomed you among us, Lord. And now, Father, as we begin to expound on the Word of God, I can only recall when you called Jeremiah into service. In chapter 1, you said, it says that you touched Jeremiah's mouth with your hand. You said, Jeremiah, I have put my words into your mouth. Lord, this morning, not my words, but your words is my prayer. That, Father, that you would touch my mouth. And that you would place your words on my tongue. That I may preach this morning as one dying man to another the truths of your scriptures. 
May the Holy Spirit fall among us today, Lord. May your work be completed here today, God. And Father, may we leave this place today a changed people. Because we have seen your spirit move among us. Lord, that's my prayer. That you would be glorified. And that you would be lifted up. In Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people said, Amen. I want to share a conversation with you I had a couple of weeks ago. Every Monday morning, uh, God has seen fit for me to volunteer at a local food pantry in my hometown of Louisville, Kentucky. And this conversation I had with this uh, gentleman named Nate, we were out in the parking lot of the food pantry, and I was helping him load his uh, groceries, his bags of groceries into the trunk of his car. And I was just standing there looking at all the food we just placed in there, and he's had hard times, and he's down on his luck. And when you work at a food pantry, you get to meet real people with real issues that are struggling. And I said, Nate, brother, looks like you have got... Your physical needs met for this week. I said, what about your spiritual needs, brother? I said, are you involved in a church anywhere? Are you plugged in in a church anywhere that can help you and help minister to you in any way? He says, well, I tell you, big guy. He said, I don't have much use for the church. He said, I've tried church a couple times, and each time I've tried church, the same old results happened. I said, well, tell me what happened. He says, well, you go in there and you join the church, and you get and you, and you fill out your card, and you try to uh, get involved with things that's going on with the church. And then after a month or so, you begin to find out and, and hear things going on within the church. Among the believers. And then all of a sudden, after a few months later, you feel, you realize that, wait a minute. The people in the church are no different than the people in the world. He said, I hear people backstabbing each other. I hear people gossip about each other, telling stories on each other, running down the church, running down every decision that's made in the church. And he says, you know what? I just feel like I'm better off at home. Because I began to think that I was part of being that hypocritical spirit also. I said, but wait, Nate, hold on. Let's, Let's think about this, brother. I said, that's the good news of forgiveness. That Jesus came... To forgive those that will repent and trust Jesus as their Savior. He said, that's what I thought too. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, nobody's repenting. They just keep doing the same things over and over again. The same people just get keep going over and over again doing the same thing. And people like me are just walking out of the church. Because we're tired of it. We're tired of listening to it. 
We come to church to join the fellowship, to be a part of the fellowship and get plugged in. But there's people in the church that don't want us to because you're taking our place. You're moving in on our territory. As Nate drove out the driveway, I can only imagine if I've ever done that. Have I ever been the guy by my words and actions in this church, in a church that has, has caused someone to just walk out of the church because they see me as hypocritical in a way? Man, that burdened me. And it's been burdening me for a couple of weeks now. And so I had to go home and I had to get there by myself. Everybody was gone and I had to just really examine myself and say, Lord, have I ever played a part of this? And God help me if I have. Because I don't want that on my resume when I stand before you in that day. And I had to go back all the way to when I became a Christian and just look at scenarios that I may have been just joking. But someone didn't take my words as a joke. They took them to heart. And it killed their spirit. And it discouraged them and they walked out. But you know what the real burden is? This isn't the first time I've heard this same story. I hear it over and over and over again where I live. That people don't want to be part of a church anymore because they can't get along with each other. In his book, The Essential Church, Tom Rainer and his son Sam gave a top ten list of why people just vanish from church. Why they just walk out. And nobody knows what happened to them. The number two reason in that top ten list was church members seemed judgmental and hypocritical. What a shame. Not a lot of amens this morning. So if you're like me, you read a lot, you keep up with what things are going on. And you should know that the church of America is in a decline. Memberships are down. Baptisms are down. Everything is on a downward grade. Are we doing our part? Are we participating in this to where we could be the reason why these numbers are declining? In America, in the church. Maybe some of you are sitting here right now just thinking about what I've just said. And you're thinking, is that me too? I mean, seriously, we have to examine ourselves, don't we? And come to the conclusion to say, you know, I may have said something one time. Or I may have done something that hurt somebody's feelings. And they simply walked away from the church because of that. Trust me, we don't want that on our resume, y'all. No. 
So how are we ever going to fill the Great Commission that Matthew 28 explains to us in, in simple, layman terms to go out and share the gospel with a world that is dying and going to the pits of hell? If all they ever see us as is hypocrites within the church. How will we ever accomplish that? Unless we change the mindset of what we're doing within the church. Are we our worst enemy? You have to ask this morning. From what I'm hearing and what I'm understanding and what I'm reading. Yeah. I believe we may be. But I want you to know this morning, I did not come here. I came here with a burden this morning. My first preaching professor told me, he said, Robbie, after the first time I preached, he said, all you got to do is preach from your burdens, brother. He said that you'll never run out of material. And there's enough burdens in this world for anybody to preach today. But I didn't come here to accuse you of being disunited. I didn't come here to say that this is a disunited church. I come here this morning to remind you that your words and actions as a believer carry such a heavy weight to both those inside the church and outside the church Because it testifies to the true condition of your heart. And it is the testimony to who you are in Christ. Let me tell you something. Whether you're joking or not, or whether you're playing around, your words carry weight when you say that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Because this world is watching you. They're watching you like that hawk on the power line. Just waiting for you to move the wrong way. And then Satan pounces. So how do we prevent this from happening? How do we fix this? How do we deal with this issue this morning? How does the church body remain unified in such a tumultuous time in America where things have gone AWOL. My friend Nate said, you know, sometimes when I was at church, I thought I was participating in the Jerry Springer show. It's funny, ain't it? He said, bro, I've been in a gang before. I've been in a street gang that was tighter than the people in the church. That's sad. That's sad when somebody in a street gang could tell you as a Christian that their, their, their camaraderie and their, their, their bond was tighter than the people in the church. Oh, but fortunately for us this morning, we were not the first ones to struggle with this. We were not the first to struggle with disunity. The Apostle Paul many times through the New Testament of his, of his New Testament writings, dealt with church disunity. And this morning, 
is no different. He dealt with in Ephesians. He dealt with in Corinthians. And this morning, we're going to look at what happened at the church of Colossae. When Paul found out there was disunity in that church and how he addressed it. And what is his recipe for us today in the 21st century church for unity among ourselves? And you have to understand Paul's general purpose in writing this letter to Colossae was to show that Christ is preeminent. First and foremost in everything. And I believe that's what's going on here. That Christ is preeminent. And that should be always our goal. But that our Christian life should reflect that too also. Both inside and outside the church. If you would open your Bibles or turn your Bibles on or whatever you use this morning. To the book of Colossians. Chapter 3. Verse 12, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. I will begin reading in the New King James Version this morning. Therefore, as elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all things, put on love, he says, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. This morning, the title of my message is A New Wardrobe. A New Wardrobe. We will look at the character, the core, and the call of the new man in Christ. So Paul begins this morning in verse 12 with the word, therefore. So when we see the word, therefore, we're going to have to look back. Because Paul is saying, in lieu of something I just said, this is what I want you to do with what I said. So if we'll back up to verse 8. Of Colossians 3. Paul is telling the church to put. He says, but now you yourselves are to put off. All these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. And have put on the new man. Who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So Paul is telling them to put off something. He said, get rid of the old man. That's not who you are. And he calls them. And he says, 
you, the elect of God. Now, who is the elect of God? Let me tell you what, if you're a born-again believer in the blood of Jesus Christ this morning, you're sitting in this sanctuary, I don't care how long you've been saved. I've been saved 24 years. You may have been saved a year. I don't care if you're 5, 10, 50, or 100. If you're saved, you are a new man in Christ every day of your life because you are no longer who you were. Amen? So he calls them the elect. The new men in Christ. But being chosen of God, being God's chosen this morning, brings with it ethical responsibilities, you see. And when believers fail to act differently from the old man, they violate the very purpose of their calling. You hear me? They violate it. Your character should be no no different, no matter how long you've been saved. The elect of God. He calls them also holy and beloved. It's good to be called holy and beloved by Paul, right? But he's not saying that I'm going to describe your moral accomplishments here. He said, I want you to know that you are set apart for my work. In this kingdom that you are living today. Be different from the world. Be set apart. You holy and beloved people. You new creations in God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore is anyone in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And that includes our words. That includes our actions. Among each other, both in this church and outside those doors. The elect of God entails both God's gift of a new life and the choosing and the choosing of taking up that new life. Verse 12, still Paul tells us to put on. He says, I want you to put on if you're a new believer. If you are beloved and holy, I want you to put on. And in the Greek, that's translated to clothe yourselves. So Paul is telling us, we need to clothe ourselves with something here. We need to put on something. Each morning we get up and we get dressed. Well, some of us do. I do. We get dressed and we go in our closet and we pick up, pick out things to wear. And we clothe ourselves, you see. But Paul's saying, I want you to not only just clothe yourself every day, I want you to clothe yourself with the virtues of Christ. Because He's the one that is worthy. Galatians 3.27, For as many as were baptized into Christ have to put on Christ. They have put on Christ. If you have been baptized in Christ, Paul says, you have... Put on Christ. So Paul says, here we go. I got some virtues for you. If you're going to follow along with me, and if you are a believer in this church, you're holy and beloved, and you're willing to put on, if you want to be different, if you want the world to see that you're different, 
If you want unity within the body of this church at Colossae, and if you want unity in the church at Michael Memorial or wherever else, here's what you got to do. Here's some virtues for you. Here's some guidelines for you. Here's your recipe right here. He says, first of all, what I want you to do is put on tender mercies. Hmm. That means we've got to have a compassionate heart. Ooh. Can we do that? Is that possible? A heart of compassion for one another. Both inside and outside the church walls. Do you have a heart of compassion this morning? Are you merciful to others? As Christ was merciful to you. Luke 6, 36, Jesus said, Therefore be merciful just as I have been merciful to you. Why would Jesus make sure he covered that in the Gospels? Because he knew that without the right heart, we're nothing but clanging cymbals and beating air. Amen. He said, put on tender mercies. Put on kindness. Kindness is really related closely to compassion. The grace that pervades the whole person. Luke 6, 36. Jesus said, therefore be merciful. I mean, John, 1 John three seventeen says, But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in needs and shuts up his, shuts up his hearing from him, how does the love of God abide in him? It doesn't. The kind person is more concerned about other people's needs than their own. That's hard in today's world, ain't it? Because it's a me world. It's all about us. He says next, put on humility. The opposite of self-centeredness. Not self-exalting nor boastful. A humble person loves to let others get the credit. Now that's really strange in today's society. But Paul says that's what we got to be. If we want to be united, we got to be humble. Philippians 2, 3 says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than who? You. Hard. Meekness, gentleness, the willingness to suffer instead of inflict it. Whew. We good at inflicting. We're not so good at suffering for one another. The meek person knows he is a sinner and is willing to suffer the burdens of other sins, of the sins of others that may impose on him. They don't have to tell the world that you've wronged them like we do today. I need justice. I need justice in the church too because I've been wronged. But what happened to humility? 
where we just say, okay, Lord, you got this. It's not about me. It's about you. Matthew 5, 5, Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall what? They shall inherit what? The earth. Are we meek? Are we humble? Are we kind? Are we compassionate in our heart? Paul moves on and said, after you get all this put on you, I want you to put on long-suffering. This coat's getting heavy, isn't it? It's like we done put on a suit of armor here. I'm weighed down now because I done put five things on. The long-suffering person is patient with others. How quick do you you lose your patience with others concerning their ideas and ways within the church body? How patient are you? How patient has God been with you? Let's start there. How patient has God been with you in your life? And we can all testify that if God didn't have patience, we'd be in trouble. For he was patient with us. So put on long-suffering, Paul says. And the one we probably have the most difficulty with is where Paul says, put on forgiveness. To bear with one another, to endure, to suffer with even when the other person fails to meet your expectations in the church and outside the church. Some believers in the church of Colossae that Paul was writing to here in Colossians 3 were being offended by the actions of others in the church. But it's not about you. If we would just boil down conflict, if we just boil down conflict into one little statement, it would be this one simple concept of me first. Because that's where conflict starts, when I want to be first, especially in the church. For Paul to live out the practice of forgiveness is to live out the gospel of the gospel as embodied in Christ's death on the cross. Let me say that again. I don't know if you really understood that. For Paul this morning to live out the patience of forgiveness is to live out the gospel as embodied in Christ's death on the cross. To forgive one another, to pardon one another, who has wronged you and simply move on with a pure heart. It's hard to move on with a pure heart after you haven't been wronged, hasn't it? Because the world says retaliate. The TV says retaliate. Your curb worker says retaliate. Don't take that. You, you're bigger than that. Don't take that. But what does God want us to do? What is Paul telling us to do? He's telling us to be the bigger person. He's telling us to forgive those who have sinned against you. 
Folks in the church should be a gracious, mutually forgiving fellowship. That's what the church should be. A graciously forgiving fellowship. Let me tell you, if forgiveness were a drug, it'd be a miracle cure for the power it contains to heal broken hearts. Amen? If forgiveness was a miracle drug, if if forgiveness was a drug, it'd be a miracle cure, wouldn't it? For all it does to the heart. Jesus reminds us in Mark 11, 25, and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. He didn't say maybe forgive him. He said think about forgiving. He said forgive him. Forgive him that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. And why should we forgive? Why should we as Christians forgive this morning? Because our Father first forgave us, didn't he? So who's wanting to argue about that? And say, no, that's not right. Those who are not willing to forgive those who have wronged them reject the principle of grace manifested by Christ's death on the cross. Did you hear that? Let me say it again. Those who are not willing to forgive within this church body, those who have wronged them, Reject the principle of grace manifested by Christ's death on the cross. You reject that. Do we have to do it more than one time? Amen. We got to do it a bunch of times. I've had to forgive a lot of people. And a lot of people have had to forgive me. I need grace. I need mercy. I need compassion because I am a sinner. And I'm saved by the same blood that you're saved by this morning. So we often chuckle at, at Peter in Matthew 18, 21, when he says to the Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? You could just see Jesus tapping his fingernails. Hmm. Let's see. Up to seven times, Peter says. No, Jesus says. I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times 70 or seven times seven or 70 times seven or whatever you want to say. But in reality, it's endless. That's what you got to focus on. It's endless. No matter what the number you use. Are we willing to acknowledge our need for God's grace by extending extending it to those around us this morning? Are we willing to live out the power of the cross this morning by forgiving others who have hurt us? I hope we are. I hope this word is penetrating your heart this morning. I hope you're examining yourself. Because we need that. So Paul has told us to put all this stuff on. And now we're weighted down. We can barely walk because we have put on all this stuff 
that Paul has told us to put on. And he says in the next verse, if you don't put this other one on, you can take all the other ones off and throw them away. Because in in verse 14, he says, the core of the new man is love. He said, you got to put on love, people. Not a whole lot of love in the world now. The Beatles wrote a song. All I need is love. Love. Love is all I need. Paul says, put on love. And when I dress in the morning, I kind of have a thing where I put on my socks and my shirt and, and my shoe, my pants and my shoes and everything. And I, I put on the most important part at the end. I put on my belt. Because for you see, the belt is what love is. The belt is what holds all the other virtues in place. Love is what holds long suffering and patience and meekness. And a merciful heart in place. Love is the first fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. I wonder why. Was it that important that Paul would say, here's the fruit of the Spirit and the first one would be love? I think so. Because love is what the foundation Of being a believer stands upon in a fellowship of, of a body. Believers will never enjoy mutual fellowship through the virtues mentioned unless they love each other. It is what holds all of us together. Love is the binding agent that joins the body of Christ together. It's what joined me and Steve Butler together. It's what joined me and Wayne Marcos together. It's what joined me and Brother Tony together. Love. We love each other. There ain't no doubt we love each other. There's not nothing these guys that, I, that, that wouldn't do for me. I know they don't because they call and they check on me. And they pray for me. And they encourage me. And they say, Robbie, you can keep going. Even though you're 50 years old now, keep digging, brother. Because Abraham didn't go until he was nearly blind from old age. Because God's got a plan, as Brother Tony said. So what is love? If you put your finger right where you're at and you just flip up to 1 Corinthians for just a moment. In the 13th chapter. 1 Corinthians 13 says... Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not have, it does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never fails. Love never fails. So now we're dressed. We're ready to go. We put on the virtues that Paul has mentioned this morning. But he says, hold on before you go out the door. 
Hold on before you go. There's a couple more things I want to tell you. We got these virtues. But I got three priorities I want for you to listen to first before you go. Verse 15, he says, You got all this stuff on. You got all these virtues on it, but now here's what you got to do with it. The peace of God and the peace of Christ must rule in your heart. That's what Paul says. The command for the church is for the peace of God to always rule in the body. So we can say that what of that the what of Paul instructions today, the what of it. Is letting the peace of God rule in your heart. And the how of it is simply putting on love. That's how you do it. The how and the what. When love reigns in your spirit, God's peace will reign in your heart. Let me say that again. When Love reigns in your spirit. God's peace will reign in your heart. It can't help but not. It just can't. Because the heart is where it's at, right? The last church I was pastoring, I had, after the service one morning, I had this little old farmer come up to me. Great man of God. He walked up to me and he was about this high and he put his arm on my shoulder and he said, Pastor... I got something I want you to think about. I'm like, oh boy. You hear that? You don't know what's coming out. He said, think about this, Pastor. He said, what comes up in the bucket is usually what's down in the well. It's a good analogy for us this morning, isn't it? What comes up in the bucket is usually what's down in the well. What's in your well this morning? The old farmer said, when we was growing up, we had a top on our well. But my daddy cut a round circle to put over our well to keep things from blowing into it. And when my daddy went out there to draw water, if there was something that came up in that in that bucket that wasn't water, my daddy knew immediately that one of us hadn't put the lid on it. Because what came up in the bucket was something that went down in the well. It wasn't supposed to be there. The solution is to change what's down in the well of our very soul this morning. Amen. We have to change what comes up out of our bucket in the terms of words and actions. To be a unified body here this morning. And Paul also says this morning, the word of Christ must dwell within in verse 16. Paul is reminding the Colossians to look back to the words of Christ about Christ. This is what Christ said about unity. Are these words in you this morning? You ever think about how Jesus said that love covers a multitude of sin? You ever thought about that? When something goes wrong, Jesus would say love covers a multitude of sin. Why would he say that? 
Because that's what covers it. You can cover it up with anything else, but until you cover it up with love, it's going to come right back through. It's going to come right back up. It's going to rear its ugly head. The words of Christ must dwell in every believer this morning. It must take up residency in you. It must move in with you. If it doesn't, something's wrong and something will move in if the Word of Christ does not dwell in you. Something will take its place and it's usually something of this world, right? If Christ is not in that place. And that's when we fall to the ways of the world when we let things of the world into our heart. And Paul closes an instruction this morning. He says in verse 17, to do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. To do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus is to act consistently with whom he is and what he wants. The Colossians believers were not only to come to God through Jesus and to worship Jesus, but they were also to live their life conscious of his authority, doing nothing apart from him. If we would do all things in the name of Jesus and pleasing him today, you know what? Our focus would remain on him and it would come. We would take it off of ourselves. Because when we focus on ourselves and our needs, our focus comes off of Jesus. So do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus will keep you in a mindset that your task here is to please Him and not yourself, but to do all things in the name of Jesus. You know, styles come and go. What's popular today won't be popular in a year from now. It'll be outdated. Oh, but how our words this morning that Paul issues to us in the first century, oh, how they're still in style today in the 21st century, aren't they? Amen? These same virtues that Paul wrote about in the first century are relevant to us today. Because there was disunity in the first century church and there's disunity in the church of the 2014. But people, the style has not changed. Next Sunday morning is Easter Sunday morning. There will people be people who walk through these doors. Some for the first time in their lives. And then there will be the CEOs, the Christmas and Easter's only. Every church has them. They come in because it's the most holy holiday of the year. And they feel that they can come and just punch the card. Be back next year. I had a man tell me that one time when I was ushering at the door at another church. He said, I'll see you next year. He wasn't lying. Next, next Easter, he was right back, same clothes, same place, same time. But those people that will come next, 
next, next week, Benny will be here for the first time. And so here's what I want you to know. Many of you this week, or maybe you already have, you're going to go pick out a new wardrobe for Easter Sunday, aren't you? You're going to come dressed pretty in all your spring colors. You're going to have your fancy duds on for Easter Sunday morning to come worship the Lord and Resurrection Sunday. But I want you to know, and I want to remind you this morning, that it's not your outward appearance that is important for us to notice. When those new people walk in this church next Sunday morning, those people that only come every now and then or every only on Sunday, on Easter Sunday morning, they could care less about what you got on. Let's just be honest. They're looking for a changed heart. They're looking for authenticity. They're looking for real fellowship. They're looking for real love. They're looking for real long-suffering. They're looking for patience in people. They're looking for the virtues that Paul just talked about this morning. Will they notice unity in this church body next Sunday morning? Or will they just continue to hear the same old grumbling and complaining among you? To put on the new man is to put on Christ. The obligation for every believer. Because of the goal of the Christian life should be Christ-likeness, shouldn't it? That's our goal. To be like Christ. So what I want you to do every morning next week when you get up and you get dressed for work or wherever you're going, I want you to think about what we talked about here this morning. And I want you to begin tomorrow morning and when you put on your shirt, I want you to say to yourself, I'm putting on tender mercies. Tuesday, I want you to put on kindness. And all throughout the week as you dressed, up until Saturday morning when you dress, you're going to put on love. And the important thing to remember that you don't take these off. You wear them forever. Once you put them on and you're a Christian, you don't take them off. You don't put them back in the closet. You wear them every day of your life, 24-7, both inside the church, outside the church, wherever you may be. Because if you're going to call yourself a Christian, oh, how the world wants you to act like a Christian. And so does Christ. Because you're His hands and feet, my friend. You're the one the world sees. Will your new wardrobe next Sunday morning be undergirded with the virtues of Christ when you gather with other worshipers to fellowship here at Michael Memorial Baptist Church? Or will these people that walk in the door simply see you wearing the same old thing? Think about that. Put on the virtues of Christ. That you may be different next Sunday morning. I'd like for you right now, just where you're sitting, to just bow your heads. And if you need to close your eyes, I just need you to get to a place where you can, you can listen intently. I know you got a lot of things to do today. I know you got schedules. I know you got dinner and uh, dinner plans and lunch plans. And I, I know you, your schedule's full today. 
But I believe the word of God has been preached today. It's been expounded on. And now it's your turn to do business with God, right? 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instructions in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's what the Bible is. If we'll be honest with ourselves this morning, there's some of us in here that have been reproofed and we've been convicted by the words we've read. Because we might be just thinking that We took part in that. That maybe the world may see me as a hypocrite. Second Corinthians 13, 5 reminds us to examine ourselves as to whether we are in the faith. You know, that that morning I left Nate at the food pantry, I had to go home and examine myself. And that's what we need to do right now. We need to get to a mindset right now, wherever you're sitting, where we can examine ourselves. Truth be known, most of us here is guilty of not possessing these virtues that Paul has spoke about this morning. And maybe you just need to come up here and lay over these steps. And you need to cry out to God and you need to ask Him to forgive you and you need to ask Him to give you another chance. You need to recommit your life to these virtues that Paul mentioned here this morning. Paul told us that we needed to forgive each other, didn't he? He said, forgive each other. In a church this size, I'm sure there's somebody in this church right now that needs to go and apologize to somebody. Somebody's waiting on you to come to apologize to them. And maybe the Holy Spirit right now is convicting you that you've done someone wrong. And you need to go and you need to make this right this morning. For some of us, this is our first time in church. I don't know everybody here this morning. You may be here for your first time. You've walked in here because you've tried every uh, known remedy to happiness and contentment, but you hadn't found no satisfaction. And you found yourself at church. Someone has invited you and you're here and the Holy Spirit has drawn you. For some, God has already chosen you, but you just hadn't chosen God. You haven't chosen God. You may be sitting here this morning and you've been here for months after months after months listening to Brother Tony expound on the Word of God and you know in your heart that God has chosen you, He's called you, called you, and you refuse to move because you haven't chosen Him. Brothers and sisters, don't let the enemy talk you out of this this morning. Don't let him whisper in your ear. That you won't know what to say at the time of invitation. Brother Tony, Brother Rod, Brother Brian will be down here in the front when the invitation is given to receive you. You don't have to give a testimony. You don't have to tell a story. You don't have to give a a witness. You don't have to do nothing. All you need, young person, is five simple words. I want to be saved. Amen? I want to be saved and the pastors will take care of the rest. You don't have to explain nothing. Let the Spirit of God dwell. Let the Spirit Spirit of God that's dwelling in you right now have its way.
Don't let Satan whisper to you. It was explained to me one time when I was... God was dealing with me about my salvation. The pastor said, if by some tragic or unfortunate reason the day that you would breathe your last breath here on earth and in a twinkling of eye you found yourself standing before God face to face, would He be your Lord or be your judge? Hmm. That day He was my judge because He was my Lord. Is Jesus your Lord this morning? Because not if He's going to be your judge, if He's not your Lord. Maybe you need to get baptized. Maybe you've been putting that off. Five simple words, I want to be baptized. You don't have to explain nothing else. Tony, Brother Tony, Brother Rod, and Brother Brian, take care of the rest. Maybe the Lord has been prompting you to give... Uh, to come and be a member of this church. Just come on down. Say, I want to be a part of this church, Brother Tony, Brother Rod, Brother Brian, and they'll do the rest. It's simple. Jesus did not make this hard. He didn't say you had to write a 10-page paper or give a speech. He just said, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved eternally. Would you pray with me and stand? Would you stand and pray with me? Dear Lord, once again, we come to you, Father, as we close this part of the service and we begin the invitation today, God. Father, I just pray, God, that your spirit would draw those who need you, Father. That God, your net of salvation would be cast upon this fellowship today. And that you would draw all those who don't know you unto you, Father. Maybe you need to confess something. Maybe you need prayer. Whatever you need, the church staff is here for you this morning. Would you come? Amen.